Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. I'm back in the studio with Brother Matthias, as always, and today we have a very special episode planned. I'm sitting here with a philosopher, an anthropologist, the founder of the African American Museum and Library at Oakland, California, Brother Robert Haynes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And some of you may recognize Brother Robert's voice from the introduction and the conclusion to this podcast. It's a beautiful voice, and we're very fortunate to have his voice on our show. Thank you very much. So, Brother Matthias, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about slavery and Freemasonry. The past, the present, and the future of slavery. Because many think that it's been abolished, but by no means has slavery come to an end. It's changed forms. It's adapted. But it's still there. You know, and we also we have a misperception about slavery on the other end of the, uh, of the time frame, too, because people, when they think of slavery, they think of North American slavery because it was the most recent and in, in some ways the most brutal. But slavery is an ancient human institution that Freemasonry has been fighting since the dawn of time. Brother Robert, could you tell us a little more about maybe kind of a, in a quick fashion the overarching story of slavery? Well, slavery... Slavery, human beings have always tried to own and use other human beings and to profit from their, uh, from their labor and use that to their own advantage. Uh, we, as Americans, are most familiar with the episode of plantation slavery here in the United States and in the, in the South. Uh, the plantation slavery generated many, many millions of dollars for the slaveholders, and this became an important part of the economy of the United States because there were institutions in the North that helped to finance slavery. So it wasn't all in the South. It was in the North, and there was domestic slavery that went on as well because the, uh, the concept of owning other human beings as property goes back to antiquity. I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, Brother Robert, because... You know, growing up in the American educational school system, I was very much taught this idea that, you know, the South were a bunch of, you know, uh, slave owners, hated black people, and the North somehow loved black people and wanted to free them. But from my studies, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the North equally had a hatred for black people. And their only reason for wanting to end slavery was to free up the job market because 
black people being slaves didn't allow white people to have jobs in different places. So I, I was taught later on, finally, in the university that there was a concept that there were three concepts. There was slavery, there was anti-slavery, and then there was the abolitionists. The abolitionists are the ones that wanted to get rid of slavery based on the virtue of freedom and liberty, while the anti-slave movement was, it was more for economic and political reasons. Well, <clears throat> I think that uh, this is partially true, but slavery, in essence, existed for capitalism. It existed and created great wealth in the United States and in South America as well. The vision was to extend slavery from the from North America to South America so that there would be a hemisphere of slavery, reaping great profits and creating a slavery empire. Fortunately for us, this was not to be. But many countries, many European countries, participated in this and reaped great profits from, the, from slavery due primarily to cotton. So, Brother Robert, was there an inherent difference in the way that slavery was carried on in North America as opposed to uh, Roman slavery, for example, or historical slavery? What was the, why, why do we remember American slavery as slavery and not the rest of history? Well, of course, we're closest to American slavery, but uh, as I indicated earlier, slavery had uh, been going on for many, many centuries. Uh, slavery in Rome uh, resulted from uh, populations that were captured and taken back to Rome to perform many different kinds of work. So this represented a value. This made, uh, made Rome a very rich empire. From uh, It gathered this from uh, the labor of uh, individuals who were not paid. Was Roman slavery racially based? Roman slavery was not racially based. It was based on the on a on national origin and the fact that uh, individuals lost the war. They lost the battle. There, so, you were, you become a slave if you lost the conquest. If you lost, if you lost, then you become a slave. That's why you fight so hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was easier for uh, slaves to become free in the Roman Empire, I believe, than in in America because there was no there was no science behind slavery in Rome. It was a simple matter of well, you were conquered. So you're my slave for a certain period of time, and if you do well, then I'll free you or you can buy your freedom. Whereas in America, it was, no, you're a slave because you are who you are. It wasn't because of who you are. You were brought in as a slave regardless. And it was a matter of minor consequence that your skin was dark because slaves were obtained from, uh, from Africa and some were were the victims of uh, of warfare. They had been captives, so Europeans were 
able to use this as a, as a tool of capitalism to generate wealth in the new world. And this is how we come to have slavery as such. And plantation slavery worked to be the most efficient and the most productive way of using slaves in the new world. The problem with slavery, though, is that slaves aren't very efficient. I mean, they, they, they don't have a motivation to work. On the contrary. Well, it doesn't matter that much because there's a threat of harm, great bodily harm. If you don't do it, you have no choice. You're already in the country. You have nowhere to go. Now, some slaves did attempt to escape, but uh, in the main, they accepted it. And this became a way of life. This became who you were. Brother Robert, what kind of, not psychological effect, but what kind of effect, what kind of impression was left on the national psyche by slavery, do you think, across America and throughout history? I personally believe that uh, there was a sense of shame um, after the conclusion of the, of the Civil War. It becomes much more complex because you have a, a people who call themselves a people and who have separated themselves as a people who have been defeated. And so from the ashes of defeat, they have attempted to resurrect themselves as a, as a people and consequent upon the derogation about, uh, of, the, of the slaves. And so the first movement, of course, was to get rid of them, send them back to Africa, which, of course, was laughable because they had been born here. And there was no place they could go in Africa without a fight, although an attempt was made in the 1820s to send them to a country called Liberia that was founded by American slaves who wanted to leave. But... Uh, the South was permanently damaged by that slavery experience. I would actually go on to say that our country still hasn't fully recovered from the Civil War and from slavery. I think there's some deep-rooted issues that even now are coming to the surface. I think it's going to take many more generations of healing to take place um, before we can move on from it because that division doesn't go away overnight, I don't think. Not, not in the minds of the um, slaves that were freed, nor in the minds of those that were slave owners. Well, slavery is the terminology that we used to discuss the issue. We use the word and the term slavery because it is easy. That is currency. The real damage was done by Jim Crow. Now, Jim Crow is much more difficult to define. That is the taking away 
of the of the and of the African Americans sense of person that is to degrade the individual and to uh, force them to think that they are worth less. This is the real damage. We call it, we talk about slavery, but the real damage to a people was done by Jim Crow, making them have separate accommodations, separate schools, and generally made to feel totally inferior. And that's a component to slavery that was new in North America. You did not have that in ancient slavery. There was not a systematic, scientific structure built up around slavery to justify it. It's almost as if at that point in history, people had evolved enough to recognize the institution of slavery as abhorrent, so they had to invent a science around it in order to justify it after the fact. Well, I think that uh, may be true, but uh, then we're getting into the areas of uh, pseudoscientific racism, justifying, but that's used to, that was used in the main to subjugate African Americans. That is, here is the proof, the phony proof that you are, in fact, inferior. Whereas this status has been called, has been enforced upon this group. I mean, it becomes a caste system. African Americans were engineered to the bottom of society. And now we're in a process trying to overcome that. But all along the way, capital and profits have been generated on the basis of creating the status of inferiority of a people. It's really interesting what you say, Brother Robert, about Jim Crow being worse than even the institution of slavery. It from was. The, from, from the point of view that if you're a slave, at least you know you're a slave. But during Jim Crow, this, this false doctrine of, you know, um, separate but equal, I think is the term they used, um, when, which they were not equal, of course, um, starts to degrade the soul. And it starts to change the consciousness of a people that they're no longer slaves, but they're not quite human either, are they? Well, you're right. It's the more traumatic element because it introduces cognitive dissonance. When you're a slave, you know you're a slave and you know who your master is and you understand your relationship. What confuses the psyche is when you're in a, a state of supposed freedom. And yet every economic aspect of your life, every socio-relational aspect of your life tells you the opposite. And yet the law of the land and the, you know, the mainstream culture, so to speak, tells you, well, the slaves have been freed. You were a slave, now you're freed. And yet your lived experience does not allow you to experience this freedom that you supposedly have been given. Well, this is true, and this of course, is the paradox, but African-Americans maintained themselves in creating a separate 
identity. Um, oftentimes, whites would be astonished at how or how they were perceived by African Americans because whites assuming that they are inferior then the black people can't possibly understand their life but working so close to them and knowing that all people are one they see the holes in this and oftentimes they would laugh at them white folks thinking these things that were totally untrue. And great damage was caused to African Americans, but greater damage was caused to whites, to white Americans, because they knew that they were living under a delusion. Because when black people worked for them, and did good work, then they had to concede that humanity and intelligence, not recognize it publicly, of course, but they had to inwardly acknowledge that. And the humanness always comes out because you will find whites who are very kind, but in a very condescending way, because they were part of a structure and they were invested in this power structure. So oftentimes they had to do things secretly. For instance, Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, she contributed heavily to black colleges, but she would not allow this to become known or to become public because she knew that there would be great disapproval for her trying to make it for her making an effort to uplift these inferiors these social inferiors i think that gives way to something i i see as a you know a, a blight on masonic history you know, masonry has not always done the right thing. And in this nation's history and, and worldwide, what did, what did Freemasons do to overturn slavery? I don't think that uh, Freemasons did very much because they were invested in the system. They were invested in the prophets and the social status attendant upon the subjugation of black people. Yeah, well, shame on them. That, that, well, I mean, when you espouse the qualities of liberty, equality, and fraternity, about the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God, but then it's convenient to keep some people enslaved for profits, it's a contradiction. You know, that just real quick, that what you just said, Brother Matthias, brings up a quote from Manly P. Hall. Um, I believe it goes, Those only are heathens who, having high ideals and yet do not live up to them, are the true blasphemers. It's like, how can you sit in a lodge 
and say these words and understand them and champion them and delve deeply into their philosophies. You know, we were actually having this conversation earlier. Like, how, how can you do what you do in Lodge but not carry that into your everyday life for centuries? You know, how can you live in a society and, as you said, Brother Robert, be at the pinnacle of this mechanism, be- reaping the benefits of this? How can you do that and yet espouse this philosophy? I mean, you have to have a, a huge disconnect going on in your in your brain and in your morality to be able to behave that way and yet say that you believe all these other things well i I think this is true but uh, human beings can rationalize anything if there is profit it's as simple as that as long as there's profit and there's going to be a material benefit then you can find a way to get around it. But, you know, profits aren't all that bad. I mean, <laughs> I like I like making some profits. I'm sure you do too, Brother Robert, Brother Axel, right? You know, I mean, th- there has to be the due median of, you know, of, of productive gain while not at the same time putting an entire race of people into servitude. Well, and I think that can come from philosophical consistency. You know, when we when we talk about you know having uh, productive gains that don't trespass into you know profits and greed, I mean we're talking about having consistency in your morals, not not allowing yourself to trespass your philosophies in search of this greed and in search of this profit. You have to be consistent with what you say. You have to do what you say you believe should be done. Well, you simply create new fictions. (laughs) These people are the enemy. They're trying to take something from me. They're trying to do away with my society that I have created. They're They're trying to bring down all that we have created. So it is very easy to justify this as long as you have the status and the financial resort, the financial resources. You know, you make me think, Brother Robert, because, you know, we, we talk about subduing our passions in Freemasonry. And, you know, it's, it's usually considered that these passions are, you know, sexual appetites, you know, drinking, you know, indulgence of some fashion. But perhaps one of our greatest passions is justification. Maybe justification is really what we need to bring under subjugation. Not other people and other concepts, but our own justifications. We're, we're always giving ourselves that ticket out of jail, you know? Because, oh, well, I did it for this reason, or I did that for that reason. Everything's so justifiable, and perhaps that is what has destroyed humanity over all these years, or not not destroyed humanity, but destroyed the soul of humanity or degraded that soul, is our ability to justify the nonsense that we do. Well, when I think of passions, what I think you're referring to with appetites and indulgences, to me, those are, those are side effects of passions. Those are symptoms of having your passions running amok inside your mind. Because ultimately, I think you're right, I think our passions are those thought patterns that are either destructive or do not serve us in the aims of what we 
say we espouse philosophically and morally. It's that continuous justification. It's the um, over-anxiety, the low self-confidence in one's ability to live up to the ideals that you've assigned yourself. Those are passions. You know, the side effects of those are overeating or overindulging sexually or doing drugs. Like those are the those are the external manifestations of those. The true passion is in the mind. And I, I like what you said, especially about the justifications, because that is something that's constant among many, almost all human beings. And it's something that goes almost unnoticed in our consciousness. And especially when we analyze our consciousness masonically, that's not the first thing that, that pops into mind. I think we also have to realize that this justification, justification stems from fear. Fear that we are not who we say we are and that it will come out. So we constantly search and look for ways so that we will not have to face the truth. We're put here on earth to overcome our animal instincts. But that's a hard thing to do. And if we create other avenues, then we can put off the time when we will have to redress these egregious things that we have done to other human beings. Well, and I think this is kind of the point we were trying to make with, you know, the um, Masonic hypocrisy, if you will, when it comes to slavery, is that, you know, I, I agree with you, Brother Robert, it is based on fear, but we don't have to search that far for the answer. At the beginning of <laughs> all of our Masonic careers, we are taught to avoid fear. Mm-hmm. to conquer fear. I mean, it's, it's one of the first things that's said to us as we begin our path through the, uh, through the Blue Lodge. It's all right there. And the same with, with when it comes to the question of slavery or of are people equal or is this person worthy of admittance to the mysteries. It's all right in the ritual. It's very clear. Well, especially in the higher degrees of Freemasonry, we're literally told to fight tyranny, to overcome subjugation, oppression, and slavery. It's a direct charge. And it's a charge that many Freemasons have taken. The liberators of South America, of Central America, many of the Caribbean islands, these were men who embodied these principles and overthrew European tyranny and established something better. But even in this new establishment, there were imperfections. There were cracks. There was this as, as you're saying, Brother Robert, this, this desire for profits. And that always kind of like seeps back in, doesn't it? It does. And it's simple to look to the scientific racism. And so you can call those facts. So you're justified. Those people do not want the same things that I want. They are inferior. Look at the way that they live, look at the way they dress. That's totally different from me. So by justifying that and looking at and believing in the 
scientific racism, the low IQs. Well, I don't want them to bring down my society, the society that I've built and I'm working to build on. So you turn your back on that and you look at the other uplifting things that you can do to create a better world. But that, but that desire of justification and that fear is at the heart the long-term failures for all Western nations. The American experiment, a Masonic experiment, was a wonderful experiment. And, and I suppose to some degree we're still, we're still playing out this experiment, but the stain of slavery ruined something that could have been very utopian in a way. And, and I think what happens is when you enslave a population, and now they're free because people do evolve, consciousness has changed, the long-term problems will be our undoing. It's not in the short term. When, you, when you're in the, the period of slavery, that's not your undoing. The undoing comes later. Because how do you take a population that was enslaved and integrate it with a population that wasn't? There's always this, like, this, this grand canyon of difference. And how do you bring that together? This is a monumental Well, task. that is false because it's been falsely created. But in order to continue the slavery, to perpetuate it, you must believe in the unsuitability, the, in, the inferiority mm -hmm. of all of these people. Now, you can choose to not believe that, but that's too much trouble. Well, that's really that's, hard. That's, that's loss. You don't want to suffer material loss. So it must be true. Our great scientists have said that these people are inferior, that they are out to destroy everything that we, the chosen people, have built up here on this earth. So it is our and this, this created white man's burden to uplift these people by letting them be in our presence lets us continue to reap these profits and to be able to sleep at night. Well, Brother Matthias, I think you bring up a good point about the, uh, the adverse effects coming much later than in the moment. And it, it makes me think of a, of a concept in, in navigation where if you're a degree off on your heading, doesn't make much of a difference at the beginning of your journey. But much later on, the further you go, the wider uh, the gap between where you are and where you want to be is. So the same way that, you know, in the short term, you're caught up in the slavery, they're, they're different, but like you're living together. The, the widening of the gap between whites and blacks comes later on down the road. You know, after what we think of as being the immediate effects have ended, the real tribulations of that of that particular course of behavior are only manifested later on and and i do agree that that's what we are living through and dealing with in america and almost in the west generally now yeah how do you kill that divide brother robert how do well i don't know i think that uh, the very the very forces that created that created this can solve it so capital created this so capital can solve it. Make it profitable. Make it profitable 
and good to be with black people, to have the presence of black people. Make that worthwhile. And that can work. And that way you're performing your Masonic duty. You are uplifting. And you are overcoming the injustice, the injustices that you created. That's a fantastic idea, Brother Robert. I've, I've truly never thought about it in this way. You always think, oh, we have to educate people. We have to educate people. They need to be taught what's right and wrong. But you're right. The problem started with capitalism, and it can end by capitalism. Exactly. You, you, we, we make it unprofitable to be racist. Exactly. Exactly. And suddenly that becomes stigmatized, whereas then organizations are created where there is a benefit to be associated with black people. That, I think, is the more important aspect of the solution to focus on, because I, th I think we see, um, at least partly in our culture, this idea of, of stigmatizing racism. Like it, it is in the mainstream culture nowadays it is very much stigmatized to be racist. If you are a public figure, for example, and you get caught making a racist comment or remark, I mean, you are, and rightfully so, you're pilloried in the media. Like, you are not, like, you're the persona non grata for that news cycle. Absolutely, and that harms the whole country. In the eyes of the world, America is great because the rest of the world thinks that we're great. Now, if they don't think that we're so great, then that starts to hurt. And we've started down that path, but many good, upstanding Americans are saying, well, now, wait a minute. This is not paying off. Well, and I think this is why co-masonry in particular as an organization is suited to carrying out the positive aspect of what you're talking about by making it uh, morally, philosophically, and socially profitable to be around all people, you know, especially with the admittance of women, the admittance of all races on equal footing. In co-masonry, it's profitable to be around all human beings. I mean, it, when I say it out loud, it seems absurd to me that this is a radical notion in the Masonic <laughs> world, right? That having all human beings around is a good thing. Like, how, how crazy am I for suggesting such a thing? Well, there's a payoff. It's the payoff. So now people sit up and pay attention. But that's, that, but that's right. You create an institution that, that accepts, let's say, all races. Then that becomes a prototype for other organizations of what is profitable because there are tra there there there's fashions there's trends yes and and when you set those as as being key players in society people will follow hence why the NFL every kid wants to be a football player right yes well and we talked about this brother Matthias on a previous episode the idea that uh, fraternal organizations are upstream of politics and, and slower-moving institutions like governments. When fraternal organizations or esoteric or philosophically-minded societies of people are on the forefront of changing entrenched methods of consciousness, by doing that, 
we will automatically convert politics later on. I mean, you have to be willing to play a long game in that sense. But when you change minds, the world changes as an after effect. You don't have to worry about, you know, Mm -hmm. passing a law to regulate morality. If you change people's inner moral compass, then that will come about naturally. Exactly. And more permanently. Yes, yes, yes. And I think as we move closer and closer, people talk in terms of a non-racial society, but there's no such thing as people going blind and not knowing the difference between light skin and dark skin. But when those two are brought together, there is an advantage so that you want that. You want what's there. We create that desire, just as we created the desire for the cotton that the slaves picked and helped to ship to England to create that huge textile industry that made England wealthy. So now we have to create something very similar. And we're on the path to doing that right now. Well, and this is something I think that has existed in Freemasonry from the beginning. The idea that, and it wasn't acted upon, but in Freemasonry, there's the idea that you can generate massive amounts of wealth, of profit and pleasure, not just, not just capital, but true human wealth by uniting people, by bringing all people together, by uniting yes. the efforts of mankind yes. in a brotherhood of man under the yes. fatherhood of God, humanity becomes unstoppable. I mean, yes. we kind of touched on this in, in the Tower of Babel episode that when you bring humans together, mm-hmm. they can achieve works that rival those of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the point mm-hmm. here is not to become colorblind, like you said, Brother Robert. Mm-hmm. That's an impossibility. Of what we want is to embrace and to cherish the differences. Yes. Because what I don't have, you have. Yes. And what you don't have, Brother brother Robert, Brother Axel has. So when we take our differences and we fill these gaps of things that we don't have with yes. what other people have, yes. then we truly enrich ourselves. And I mm-hmm. think at the true heart of, of the idea of generating capital or of trade, you know, if we go back to ancient society, it's, it's filling a hole. You know, we cannot produce everything ourselves, nor should mm-hmm. we try. Mm-hmm. We need to embrace the differences. Not, not be yes. colorblind, because that's yes. asinine, frankly. Yes. yes. Well, and if we look at it from the perspective of the Masonic metaphor, if we're engaged in the building of a temple of humanity, what sane builder is going to refuse free materials? You know, materials that come to him and say, hey, I want to be used in your labor. Like, who, what, what? What architect in their right mind is going to refuse that? You know, we need all kinds of materials to build this temple. It's not yes. going to stand if it's only made of brick and there's no mortar to yes. seal it. Yes, absolutely. And we overlook one thing. There is the issue of inbreeding. What happens when you inbreed? Genetic defects. <laughs> Genetic defects. You get you get an so, Emperor Nero, you know, yeah, so, so, the Habsburg so, jaw. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So you reach out and you broaden, you improve that gene pool and you create a hybrid that is stronger and better. And this is what masonry has done with ideas since time immemorial. It's brought 
widely disparate ideas and philosophies together in a, in a blending, in a melting pot, in order to produce the fundamental truth that sits at the heart of each of them. Mm-hmm. But, but I think what we have to worry about today, because we don't have the same notion of political slavery in our society. You know, people aren't being chained up and working on cotton fields, right? But we have a new form of slavery. We're enslaved to old notions. We're enslaved to our passions. And I think as society has evolved, because I do believe it has evolved, I don't think we're the same people we were a thousand years ago. I think we have grown intellectually, spiritually, and philosophically. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we have made gains. We have Mm -hmm. stepped up the mountain towards Mm -hmm. the summit. But our pitfalls now is ourselves. We, we, we are ingrained with, we, we are enslaved with, with concepts that are old and outdated and must be discarded. We are slave to these, these mental forms. Well, <clears throat> I agree with you completely. Uh, but have we, have we really, when we look at native cultures, individuals who are free, and who share with each other. Certainly, we have advanced technologically, but have we really advanced morally? That is our gain, that is our aim to make these moral advances, but materialism keeps getting in the way. I mean, sure, we have automobiles, we have spaceships, what about the inner man? Brother Robert, I, I, I do think we've made some gains. And, and I'll just, I'm going to use something from my own life. When I was in high school, middle school, mm-hmm. the idea of, of anyone being homosexual was unheard of. You know? In my generation, growing up in, in the 80s and 90s, like, that existed. We knew it was there. We didn't hate those people. But that's still something you didn't see. Then you see the kids today. And it's completely normal for them. They don't have the same prejudice or connotations that people had 30 years ago. I think with every generation, there's a little bit more of an opening up to concepts of, of, of tolerance and of people being themselves without having to be destroyed by public opinion. Well, and materialism is a means to that end. As more people are elevated out of the poverty that can naturally incline those who have to separate themselves and to see those who have not as inferior, as that gap is closed globally, you'll have more room for more rapid acceptance of ideological prejudices dying away. Especially as people are more materially comfortable, they'll be able to they'll be able to think more clearly and also not blame others for their situation. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of the South and a lot of these pockets of, you know, people that hold on to these antiquated, especially the, the virulently racist types, you generally find them in areas of poverty. You know, you don't really find in areas of, of general wealth, middle-class society, it's not rife with racism you if you find that in places that are clinging to old ideals because their economic system has not allowed them to evolve past 
the methods of thinking and behaving that worked for their ancestors. They're clinging on instead of moving forward. Well, I can understand what you're saying about that, but I think what actually happens is that there is a pall of fear that hangs over groups of individuals, fear that they will be left behind and that they will be left outside because everyone wants to be a part of something. Everybody wants to be, uh, have the feeling of some kind of importance. And if you don't have that, then you are subject to manipulation by other selfish people who are seeking power. So we see that happening in some of the movements now where rather than embrace change, then they want to remain the same and make the untrue true. And that's very sad, I think, but I think that that has to occur on the way to creating this balance that we're seeking. Brother Robert, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one last question. As an African-American, do you see the end of slavery? Can you envision it? I think that uh, the end will come. I think that uh, we've embarked on this path of making things better and bringing all people, all Americans, all of us together. I mean, we move haltingly, two steps forward, one step back, but the end is sure to be us coming together and creating a new world and a new race that will bring new blessings to this country and the world. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Comcier and Axel Suvari and does not represent the official views of Universal Comesory. Universal Comesory is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.